You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. So I'm Joe. Uh, thank you for that introduction. I do work for Tear Funds. I work in the theology and networks engagement team, um, cover mostly the US and Europe, uh, and also leading on the Justice Conference, which is a massive privilege. Um, I live in London. I grew up in the West Country. Um, I lost my accent uh, because I realized no one would take me seriously if I continued to talk like a farmer. Um, But I've lived in London for the last 13 years. Um, It's uh, really a privilege to come and talk uh, in a series where you are focusing on the poor Um, and especially to come and talk about the issue of the environment. Uh, And let me commend you. I don't know how many of you had an option in this series about the poor. You may not have, and you're just here. But uh, I wonder if you know what you're getting yourself in for. Because to pursue God is to pursue justice. You find God amongst the margins, those who are poor, those who are sidelined in our world is where you find God. And as you spend this time thinking, reflecting on what the Bible says, on who God is, on those who are most in need in our world, you will find God. And the health warning is that that wrecks your life (laughs) more than it already has, and it continues to do so. Um, So, uh, I'm just going to pray, actually, before we start. God, I thank you that your mission is to restore a broken world to yourself. And I thank you that you invite us to participate in that with you. And I pray that this morning, and I pray that through this series, that you would challenge us. That as that invitation you hold out to us, to seek you and to join you in what you're doing, that we would be brave, that we would be courageous, that we would take up our cross and follow you. And may we be more gloriously changed into your likeness as we do. In your name, amen. Um, so uh, a li- just a little bit of my story, really, and how uh, I came to be at Tear Fund. Um, I am not a likely candidate. Um, as I said, I grew up in the West Country. Um, I knew Dorset. I knew very little outside of Dorset. Um, I didn't really know what goes on around the world. I didn't do the best at school. I wasn't a Christian, really, when I was a teenager. And when I was 17, um, I encountered Jesus. And he changed my life. It was pretty dramatic overnight. And I was in, like hook, line, and sinker. Like everything. I'd done this life without God, and it didn't go that great. And suddenly, I encountered Jesus, and he gave me this hope uh, and transformed my life. And so I was in. And you know, as the Bible says, that David was a man after God's own heart. I wanted to be someone who pursued God's heart. That was me. I had nothing else uh, to pull me back or to distract me because I'd done life without him and I wanted everything. And so I don't have time to give you all the details, uh, but a few years later, unexpectedly, um, somewhat reluctantly, I found myself in Lebanon. uh, And I was working there in an orphanage and school. Now, 
just to clarify, it's not that I um, don't like children, um, but kids en masse, they kind of terrify me. They're like herding cats. I just don't really know what to do with them. And so I'm a youth worker through and through, uh, and so I find myself reluctantly in this orphanage. And uh, they, I'm also not a massive fan of admin, but they said to me, well, you could either be in the classroom with the kids, or we've got some admin that we'd love you to do. And I was like, kids on mass, admin, I'll take the admin. <laughs> um, and so I retreated to this basement office where they asked me to put, um, basically I had all paper files of all the kids, like loads of documents. They'd been given some software, and they said, could you just transfer it all? So there I spent day after day going through all these documents, transferring it over. So I wrote out name, dates of birth, um, all kinds of stuff. But I wrote out every story of why that child, while each child was in the orphanage. And so I wrote out over 60 stories of poverty, deprivation, abuse, some of them refugees. Two of them had witnessed their father kill their mother one of which had been locked in a room with his dead mum's corpse for two days before he'd been found. And after a few days, I went back to my room and I was like, God, this is heartbreaking. This feels so unfair. Like through the lottery of postcode, these are these children's experience. This feels so unfair. This is heartbreaking. And God said to me in that moment, if you think that your heart breaks, my heart breaks more. These are my children who I made, and I've seen every day of their life. If you think that your heart breaks, mine breaks more. And it was a confronting moment for me where I realized I had said, I want to be someone who pursues God's heart. And I realized every day God's heart is breaking around the world for the poor, the marginalized, the forgotten of this world. And I was oblivious. And if I wanted to pursue his heart, I had to faithfully pursue that part of his heart. So I came back at uh, the UK thinking, if I'm a citizen of one of the richest nations in the world, there must be something I can do. What can I do? Long story short, I ended up at Tear Fund two months later, um, not really having a clue about international development or anything like that. I kind of, it was totally a God thing of how I ended up there. And uh, once I arrived, I ended up in the advocacy team. Um, and this really was off the back of God having given me Proverbs 31, 8 to 9. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Defend the rights of the needy and the poor. And God's like, that's your answer. That's, how, that's what you do in the UK. And I said, well, that's not a flipping answer. <laughs> I'm one of 60 million people in the UK. How do I use my voice? So I ended up in the advocacy team at Tear Fund. I didn't know what advocacy meant at the time. I had to look it up in the dictionary. Um, I'm not even kidding. Uh, and uh, when I was there, after a couple of weeks, I found a big sign that said, the advocacy team's key verse is Proverbs 31, 8 to 9. And I realized, oh, well, that's why I'm here, because then I'm going to learn about how to use my voice in the UK. I had a six-month contract, and then I was going to get on with the rest of my life. Uh, and 13 years later, it turns out it's the rest of my life. And uh, I realized that this, uh, this, well, this has wrecked me. Like I said, health warning. This stuff wrecks you. Because as you journey deeper into God's heart, you can't not be changed. You either walk away or you get changed and wrecked. <laughs> um, I heard a story really early on 
from when I was there. Other little confession. Um, nine months before I started working for Tear Funds, um, I was at my church, and you know, we, I mean, I'm sure it's not the same here, but uh, when you get the visiting speakers, they're sometimes slightly more interesting than the usual ones. No. Sure, it's not here. It's not what I meant. I'm just talking about that church. And so I was there, like, keen. We had these visiting speakers who always came, were always inspirational, always challenged me about my relationship with God. And uh, they came, and they spent 40 minutes talking about the environment. And I sat there, and I'm ashamed to say, I walked out of church that day, and I thought, you have just wasted 40 minutes of my life. Uh, <laughs> I genuinely did. Because I thought, I come to church to hear about my relationship with God. Why are you talking to me about the environment? Um, I am not naturally an outdoors person. I love Blue Planet, but I love watching it from my couch (laughs) with a glass of wine. (laughs) Uh, I prefer to be indoors and out. I didn't care about the environment. And I got to Tear Fund, having had this experience in Lebanon, utterly convinced that God cared about people living in poverty. And uh, I heard this story that has uh, stuck with me ever since. And uh, what Tiffin did at the time, and it was ahead of its game in doing this, is we went to all the places that we worked around the world, and we said, what difference has climate change made to your life? And we went to every region, every corner of every country we were working in, and the response was overwhelming. And uh, one of the responses was from an Ethiopian man who uh, was about 80 years old. And he said, well, let me tell you, 30 years ago, I had this plot of land, So 30 years ago, I would plant my crops, and my harvest would last me for two years. Uh, So I could feed my family for a year, and then I had a year's worth to sell, and the profits, I could send my kids to school and pay for medical care. He said, today, that same plot of land, the harvest lasts me just seven months. So five months of the year, they can't feed themselves, and they have nothing to sell for profit. And I, like I said, I'm not a farmer, despite growing up in the West Country. Uh, but so I'm told what happens is, particularly in those kinds of climates, you could time almost to the day the rain, rainy season would start. And so as the rains would start, they would plant their seed. It would rain uh, for, the, for that season, and then they would reap their harvest at the end. And what was happening is it starts to rain. They plant their seed. It stops raining. The crops dry up. Some die. It starts to rain again, but there's no more seeds to plant because they're poor. Uh, And so they either get a failed or a massively reduced harvest. That was a story 13 years ago. That has got worse since. A change in climate is undermining the lives of people living in poverty all around the world. And so I realized at that moment, oh, no, (laughs) no. I didn't care one hoot about the environment. I couldn't care less. And suddenly I realized this was an issue that was undermining the lives of people living in poverty. I knew that I had to pursue uh, God's heart around the poor, and that meant pursuing this as well. I really wasn't interested, but this is where I found myself. Um, uh, Hopefully a PowerPoint uh, is going to come up. The next slide uh, is... Um, a graph. I use graphs to make myself look intelligent. Um, This graph uh, is quite an encouraging graph. So this is the amount of people that we have lifted out of extreme poverty in the last 40 years. 
So the downward trend is a really good thing. So we have reduced uh, people without sufficient food. We have reduced the people without safe water. We have halved the amount of people living in extreme poverty. So extreme poverty means living off less than about $1.25 a day. Next graph. Uh, slightly less encouraging, um, roughly, certainly this latter part is the same time period. This is the amount our greenhouse gas emissions have risen in the last 40 years. The next graph. Uh, this is, uh, downward trend is less encouraging. This is the amount of biodiversity that has been lost around the world in the same time period. So we have halved the amount of biodiversity that there is in the earth in the last 40 years. Halved, gone, extinct, not coming back. These graphs are deeply connected. So as we have grown economically, we have done so at the cost of the environment. And we are now around the tipping point that the risk is as we have done that, as we have grown uh, unsustainably, we are now at a risk of tipping people back into poverty, further into poverty than they probably were before, as the environment undermines their lives. Because the environment cannot sustain the rate of growth that we have been living at. Now, loads of that happened in ignorance. Loads of it, we didn't know what we were doing and the impact we were having. But we now know. We now know, and therefore we are responsible. And so, uh, as we've been thinking as Tear Fund, is thinking about how do we rethink our economy so that it is restorative, so that it is transformational. Now, I don't know for sure if a uh, little clip is going to work um, or not. We'll give it a go. Uh, this clip is uh, slightly comical and a little harrowing all at the same time, uh, so... Hopefully, it will come on. Is there any sound? Oh, no. Doesn't matter if not. What do we think? Yeah, no, don't worry, no. Okay, yes, no problem. Um, <coughs> that may or may not come. Um, so as I began to have to rethink all kinds of stuff uh, at Tear Fund, I guess I was taken back to the Bible and realizing that uh, I need to rethink and re-understand my idea of who God was and what his mission is. Because every day that you work at somewhere like Tear Fund, you have to face the fact that the majority of the world live in poverty. And I would go to church and people would tell me that God provides. And then I go to work and have to acknowledge that most of the world feels like it's not provided for. And it really shook my faith, and it really challenged me. And had I probably not been working for Tear Fund, I probably would have felt too hard and given up on trying to resolve that. 
But I didn't have that choice because I, there I was um, at Tearfun trying to work this out. And uh, these verses have really helped me re-understand and have a bigger idea of what God is doing. Um, in Ephesians 1, uh, verse 8 and 9, it says, With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. And then we jump across to Colossians 1, uh, verse 20, uh, or 19 and 20. So for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him, Christ, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Reconciling to himself all things. I had ignorantly thought that creation had nothing to do with my faith. I had ignorantly thought this had nothing to do with how I connect with who God is. And as I reread this, I began to understand God's mission, his vision, was for transformation for all things, including creation. Now that word, peace, it's kind of a, not a brilliant translation. Uh, when I think about the word peace, I long for it in central London uh, when I'm trying to sleep at night and there's many sirens and loud people shouting on my streets. Uh, but that is not what that word means. It's a deeper, richer uh, a word that means shalom. And shalom in the Old Testament means things to be back in their right relationship. How ordered how they were supposed to be in the beginning. And God is ordering things back into right relationship. And I began to understand that, yes, my relationship with God was broken and needed restoring. But also, I have a relationship with my global neighbor that is broken and needs restoring. I have a relationship with the environment, with creation that is broken and that it needs restoring. Uh, Now, I don't know what uh, you are answering in terms of what's the first thing you do in the morning. Um, But I guess my next question would be, what do you eat? Or what do you do next? What clothes do you put on? What food do you eat? Uh, And I won't get you to do it now because time is short. But if you look in the labels in your clothes, uh, and I'd encourage you to do it, uh, I would be surprised if many of our clothes were made here in the UK. We have global neighbors that are supplying our food, our clothes, uh, our drink, all sorts of things. We have a relationship to them. And we need to understand how good or broken it is. How are we doing on the clip? Or are we? Nah, don't worry. Okay, we'll move on. Um, so, uh, I don't know. Does anybody remember what happened on August the 2nd last year? Stick in anyone's mind for any reason? It won't necessarily. There wasn't a big global event. Uh, August the 2nd last year was Earth Overshoot Day. Has anyone heard of that? Uh, Earth Overshoot Day was the day in the year that we have used up all of the resources that are available to us as a world, as a globe, for that given year. August the 2nd. Now, I don't know if you remember what happened on August the 3rd. Anything markedly happened? 
I mean, it didn't for me. So my lights didn't go out. Uh, I carried on eating. I carried on using resources. But we'd used up all the resources available to us uh, already. So if we've already used it up, what we were doing from August the 3rd until the end of the year was borrowing from this year. Uh, in 2016, Earth Overshoot Day was the 8th of August. Uh, back in the year 2000, Earth Overshoot Day was the end of October. Every year we are using more resources that are available to us. And each year we are borrowing into the following year. Now, we know what happens when we keep borrowing and keep borrowing and don't pay back. We go bankrupt. And that is what we are doing. And the bankruptcy is beginning, particularly for the lives of people living in poverty. Uh, and we see that because they're living in extreme climates, but we also see it because uh, they are not able to protect themselves from that, whereas certainly in the West, we are able to do that. Um, I don't know, if we go back one picture, I mean, it's maybe already given it away. Does any, has anyone seen this picture before? I'm going to rattle through some stuff now. Um, so, because we have a huge amount of time. Uh, that picture was done by an artist um, probably about 10 or so years ago. Um, and if you flick to the next one now, I don't know how clear it is. Uh, you can see the bottom one. That is 2 million plastic bottles. Now, the artist created this because at the time, uh, every five minutes, two million plastic bottles were thrown away in the U.S. alone. And he wanted to show the extent that we are having to this planet. Uh, today, we are on, uh, globally, worldwide, we throw away about one million bottles each minute. Each and every minute. The vast majority of those bottles are not recycled. We are consuming way more than we are able to, than the earth can sustain. Uh, a quote is going to come up. Um, so this quote, hopefully, because I've got it written down. Um, this was written uh, by a guy called Victor Lebeau um, in 1955. This consumption that we are living at was designed this way for us. Now, this was published in an academic journal. And he says that our enormously productive economy demands that we make consumption our way of life, that we convert the buying and use of goods into rituals, using quite spiritual language, that we seek our spiritual satisfaction, our ego satisfaction in consumption. We need things consumed, burned up, replaced and discarded at an ever-accelerating rate. 1955, he was writing this. Our lifestyles were designed this way. That's how it was. The next uh, quote's going to come up. This is by um, a guy called Zygmunt Bauman. It's a paraphrase of his. He's a sociologist. And he says this, Shopping is an individualistic activity only designed to serve the consumer and reinforce their ability to choose their identity. Once consumption has become a part of an individual's identity, curbing that consumption 
becomes more complex. It has come to fulfill a need in an individual's life. And therefore, that need would have to be fulfilled by something else if abstinence was to become successful. We are building our identities by what we consume. We are destroying the environment as we do so, and we are destroying the lives of the poor. Now, I'm not here just to tell you you need to stop consuming so much, because that's true, but we probably already knew that. But I'm here to say the way that we are going to stop doing that, the way we are going to untangle ourselves from this life that has been designed that way for us is by the pursuit of God again. Because as we pursue him, then we find our identities and we know who we're made to be. Other people want to give you an identity. Next slide. Um, this is, uh, a, again, a, another piece of art that was done um, a long time ago. Uh, it's a play on the uh, philosopher, I think, therefore I am. I shot, therefore I am. Next slide. Uh, there is a battle out there for our identity. Um, I don't know how much you identify with brands, but you don't have to ask too much more about someone. Are you an Apple person or are you a Microsoft person? Uh, do you drive a Skoda? Do you drive an Audi? Do you shop in Asda? Do you shop in Waitrose? Brands are doing identity work for us. Uh, and I do whole other talks on this. I studied it at length in my dissertation. Um, this is about a battle for our identity, not just about consuming less, and we are shaped and formed as we consume less. Um, the parable, next slide, uh, in Mark 4, that is probably well known to many of us, the parable of the sower. Now, I was always brought up to think, yeah, like once I, well, once I became a Christian, I am the seed sown in good ground. But as I've reflected and reread that, I've begun to think, you know what, I'm not so sure. Because if you reread it, then the seed that is sown in thorny ground is really similar to the one sown in the good soil. Now, I don't know if you've noticed what the difference is. Because the seed grows up, right? Does anyone know? It doesn't bear fruit. The one in thorny ground doesn't bear fruit. And I've begun to wonder about myself. Did I think that this little shoot shot up? It looked like there's life. But am I bearing fruit how I'm supposed to bear fruit? And Jesus says, as in he explains to his disciples, that the things that choke that plant, the things that stop it bearing fruit, are the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things. This is not just about how much we're consuming. This is about our souls. This is about how well we are planted and rooted in Christ and bearing root for him. This is for us as individuals, but I passionately believe that this is for the church in the West who is choked by consumerism in a way that we look so similar to the world because we have been, uh, we've grown up in this environment that says there's not another way other than to consume and consume and consume. Um, next slide, this verse again you will know well. Uh, Romans 12, and this is from the message version. And so you might be saying at this point, so what do we do? 
uh, and I will rattle through some of the things we can do. Um, But I love this. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You will be changed from the inside out. And so there's three key words at the beginning of that. God helping you. And I'm going to go through a bunch of different stuff that we can do. But don't forget those words. God helping us. This isn't just about how our planet is doing. This is about us and our own discipleship. So next slide. Uh, next one. Um, paper cups. Uh, we use about 5,000 paper cups in the UK every single minute. Uh, every minute of every day. That uh, equates to about 7 million per day. Uh, that adds up to 2.5 billion per year. Uh, now, forgive me, this is a couple of years old as a stat, but a couple of years ago, we were recycling 6 million of those cups per year of the 2.5 billion that we're using. Uh, we're over-consuming. Next slide. Uh, don't know how you feel about meat. Next slide. We're going to whiz through a little bit. So UK meat consumption is twice as high as the global average. Next slide. Uh, the UK consumes over 5 million tons of meat per year. Next slide. 45% of our meat is imported. Um, I don't know how you feel about meat. I passionately love meat. I love bacon. Um, I'm here to tell you I'm not a vegetarian. Um, But I have had to massively wrestle with my meat consumption before God. Now, the meat industry worldwide uh, is hugely, um, uh, requires a massive amount of resources to produce the amount of meat that we produce. And so, uh, again, long story short, but I've got to a point where I will now eat meat if I know that it's locally sourced and I know it's from a well-treated animal. Because God does permit us to eat meat in the Bible. I passionately believe that. But he does it. And when you read uh, Leviticus, which I know is all of your bedtime reading, uh, and, uh, and if it's not, it should be. I love that book when you study it properly. Uh, God says, yes, of course, but in a way that is honoring to me and honoring to the animal. Uh, and our global meat consumption and meat industry, when you look at it, I'm not sure how honoring it is to God or to the animals. And so I think God permits me to eat meat, but in a God-honoring way. And actually, if we began to do that more, we'd be consuming less, uh, and it would have less impact on the environment. Next slide. Um, And keep going through. And again. Um, So uh, different things that you can do to consume less. Um, I don't know how well you know your local charity shop. 
get to know it. Um, that's a great source for all sorts of things. Next slide. Because uh, that is really about recycling well. Next slide. Um, I don't know. Will the next film clip come up, actually? Yeah? Next one? Okay. This one doesn't have any sound. So you might have missed the words there. So this was a diver off the coast of Bali in Indonesia, filming what he found in the ocean. Can you see? Am I in your way? Sorry. Um, we go back to the pictures. Uh, the amount that we are throwing away and over-consuming, throwing away irresponsibly, is having a huge impact on our oceans. Many of you will have seen Blue Planet, I'm sure, or at least heard about it, where they highlighted this issue. Um, we are putting millions of tons of plastic in the ocean each year. Much of that plastic comes from developing countries. Uh, and that is often because they cannot afford the uh, waste disposal and waste management systems that they need. Uh, this isn't just affecting our oceans, but it is affecting their health, affecting their communities and their lifestyles. Because we're teaching them to consume in the same way that we are, but they don't have the systems and management structures to deal with it. Uh, and uh, the, the stat that has shocked uh, even me um, is that 20 uh, times more people die each year from the mismanagement of waste and pollutants than they do of malaria worldwide. It's a shocking stat. And so we need to look at ourselves and ask ourselves some hard questions of what we are doing as a humankind on this planet. Uh, it's a massive issue for us, and we have begun to lobby as tear fund for aid uh, that the UK government is sending overseas specifically to go on waste management so that the lives of the poor are protected, uh, so that their health is better, so we stop sending, shipping our waste to those kinds of countries to deal with, uh, and that in turn less plastic will get into the ocean. Uh, we need to think uh, differently. The, um, so if you go back one picture, so the jar that I don't know, you won't have been able to make out what was in it, and I'm coming into the land now. Um, this is the amount of waste a lady called Bea Johnson produced, uh, and her family of four produced in a year. That's it. That was all she was sending to landfill. Now, uh, I don't know if you've heard of Zero Waste Lifestyle, um, but it's something that I began to journey towards. When I heard about this woman, I was like, wow, that's amazing. And I was like, oh no, if you can do it, 
that means I probably can do a lot better than what I'm doing too. And that was about four years ago. And I battled with God about it for a long time. And God's like, I want you to live this lifestyle. And I was like, God, that just feels too much, too extreme. Like people would just write me off as a nutter. And he was like, so you're more worried about what other people think than what I'm asking you to do. And I was like, oh, no. (laughs) Yes, it turns out so. And uh, anyway, I have journeyed towards that. And it has been one of the most profound spiritual journeys I've ever been on. Because what you have to do when you live zero waste is you have to analyze everything that you consume. You analyze everything because you've got to think about how you're going to get rid of it. And it has exposed my heart to myself in a way that nothing else has. What do I think I deserve? What do I think I need? Uh, Truly, what do I need before God other than him? And it has challenged me to seek God more. I told you this comes with a health warning. If we pursue God, our lives get wrecked. They should not look the same as the lives of people outside of the church, of people who don't know Jesus. And I, like I said, I'm not here to just tell us to live differently. I'm here to tell us to pursue God more. Because the pursuit of God will lead us to these spaces, to radical lifestyles, to living differently in a way that inconveniences us, in a way that makes it harder. You know, uh, my coffee cup and my water bottle I take everywhere, um, literally around the world. For me, these have become symbols of my worship, where I say, God, your kingdom come for the whole of creation. I want to participate in the reconciliation of all things. For those people on the other side of the world that we're probably never going to meet who are suffering the consequences of climate change. To pursue the poor is to pursue God's heart. And you can't not be changed as a result. And so I want to challenge us today to think about every part of our life. We can't separate out this bit, the bit that I... Uh, give my time on one evening a week to do the homeless drop-in or whatever it is. And I'm not knocking that. I love that. I've done those things for years. But it's about every part of our lives. Are we bringing our everyday life to God as an offering? Because we can't ignore this part of it. To participate in God's mission is to participate in every part of his mission. If we jump to the last slide... um, uh, so Pete graciously mentioned at the beginning these, slide, uh, these flyers. Um, the Justice Conference is something we're running in November because we want to bring the church together in the UK to say, what would it look like if we spent a couple of days just exploring the theology of justice? What are the consequences for us? What is God calling us to as a church? And so as we go deeper in the Bible, understanding the biblical narratives around this, then we are changed. Rather than just pursuing issues and different stuff that's going on, we want to pursue God first and be changed by that. And so I throw out that invitation to you. Uh, Come, get involved. We need volunteers. Uh, You can get yourself tickets online. We would love to have you because we want to go deeper and we want to be changed. We want to be people who pursue God. And to pursue God is to pursue justice. To pursue his heart is to pursue every part of his heart. And so that's my invitation for you today. Pursue every part of his heart. 
I can't promise an easy ride. I can't promise it won't wreck your life. I can't promise that it won't look really different to your neighbors and your friends around you. But you will find life in all of its fullness. You will find the kingdom of God and the heart of God with those on the margins in a way that you will never find him, even here in our comfortable spaces. You will find something of Jesus on the margins that you will not find anywhere else. And you will be forever changed. Thank you.